Hi, this is Robert Cunningham, pastor of Preaching and Vision at Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church. We want to thank you for listening to this resource, and we hope and pray it will be a blessing to you. One quick word, though, before you listen. While we are honored to be a resource for you, we do want you to know that an online sermon is no substitute for congregational life. It's a good supplement, but what you need more than anything else is membership and involvement in a local church. If you are not a member of TCPC, I want you to know that listening to your pastor is far more valuable than listening to this. If you are a member of TCPC, I want you to know that joining us in worship on Sunday is far more valuable than listening online. So to everyone, we are encouraged that you have sought us out, but much more encouraging would be for you to seek out a local church community. That said, thanks for listening, and may God now bless you as you do. So we are finally here. The year 2021 is finally upon us. The day the world has been waiting for, honestly, since last March. And as you probably expected, everything is about the same. Yes, there's some new hopes. There is hope of a vaccine. Yes, Dante Allen did get a place in minutes last night, and the Cats finally got a win. So there is some hope. But for the most part, it looks like for the foreseeable future, the beginning of 2021 looks more like the end of 2020. And I think most of us have realized that, honestly. We knew things were going to change in an instant just because the clock struck midnight. In fact, a few weeks ago, I was out shopping the day before Christmas, like I always tend to do. And of course, everything was gone. The shelves were empty. Everything had been picked over, all except in one section. At every store, if you go to their office supply section, there are stacks upon stacks of 2021 yearly planners. If you still want a 2021 yearly planner, you can go to the store today and get one or five or ten. I promise. There's plenty of them there. We have learned our lesson on planning perhaps forever. And it's crazy to think that this time last year, how many churches were rolling out their yearly plans, their new visions, completely unaware of what was about to happen. But you can rest assured that I have no new plans to offer you for the new year. One, because like Mark said, I'm an intern, and I can't imagine what the leadership of this church would do if the intern started rolling out his vision for TCPC in the upcoming year. But two, and more importantly, our passage offers us no new plans. Did you notice that? The invitation of our passage is not in a plan, but in a person. And that's very important. Jesus invites us this morning to come to me. That is the great hope of our faith. The hope of Christianity in this new year, like every new year, is not in new plans, but in a person that can actually make you new. Matthew eleven twenty eight has helped so many people throughout all ages find comfort and rest when these things could not be found. And I want to start this new year by helping us know how. How is this to be found? How is this great hope ours? Three points, observations from the text. First, the problem that Jesus sees in us, the promise that Jesus gives to us, and third and finally, the person that Jesus is for us. And I'll go through those one by one. Starting first, the problem that Jesus sees in us this new year. Look at verse 28. 
He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Jesus offers us an invitation this morning, and you notice that the invitation is actually twofold. It's universal, meaning he invites all to come, all. And if you read throughout the Gospels, that becomes apparent. He invites all different sorts of people to come to him. Yet there is that qualifier. Not just all, but all who labor and are heavy laden. Most translations use the more familiar language of weary and burden. And in this way, Jesus points out the problem almost immediately. Jesus recognizes that people in this world have a great need. They are carrying heavy burdens. And these burdens are making them weary, making them worn out. And we might not use that same language very often to describe ourselves, but we for sure feel it. Every time we turn on the news, every time we lay our heads on the pillow at night, every time the alarm clock goes off in the morning, there seems to be a growing weariness in us. Where is this weariness coming from? What exactly are the burdens that Jesus is talking about in this passage? There is no clear indication in the text what this burden actually is. He doesn't come right out and say it. You could look ahead to Matthew 23, 4, where Jesus says that the religious leaders of the time are putting a really heavy burden of their laws on the people, and the people can't carry it. So you could say this might be a religious burden that Jesus is talking about. But there seems to be more here than just a religious burden. Of course, it probably includes that. But Jesus is most likely speaking about more. It's interesting to note that one of the most beautiful passages in all the Bible about Jesus comes right in the middle of great controversy about Jesus. Jesus has spent all of chapter 11 leading up to this point in confrontation. It's really interesting. He has been confronting his disciples and John the Baptist as they've been questioning who he really is, if he's really the Messiah, or should they expect another? He has just come from confronting the lack of repentance of cities where he has done most of his mighty works, and they will not repent. And this pressure, this confrontation is mounting to such a point that many comment that when Jesus speaks these words of comfort to us this morning, he is actually himself a man of burden. So it's safe to say with all that going on leading up to our passage, the burdens that Jesus is talking about, the problem that he sees is that we are living life in a fallen world where both our sins and our suffering have left us laboring and really, really burdened. Or to put it more simply, Jesus is inviting anyone this morning who has become weary with the burdens of life. When he says all who labor, he means all who have a need, who see that they are burdened. Now, I don't think I've ever had an easier time to prove this verse. We can just look around. The year 2020 was the year of being weary and burdened. So I don't think I have to convince you this morning that you have burdens. You have them. You know you have them. But what I do have to convince you of is that you don't have to carry them this morning. In fact... What Jesus is trying to convince us of is you can't carry them this morning. 
That's the problem Jesus sees. The people have burdens, their own sins, the sufferings they're facing in this world, and they're trying to carry those burdens by themselves, and they cannot do it. I'll never forget when I was a senior in college at Western Kentucky, and I've been going to this church in Bowling Green for a little over a year, and I was getting closer and closer to our pastor, Lance, at the time, and he asked me one day to go with him on a hospital visit. And I just thought we were checking in on somebody, but on the way, Lance informed me that this was actually a deathbed visit, and my, my heart sank, obviously. I'd never been to a hospital visit, let alone a deathbed visit. The man had been in hospice for a little while, and he didn't have much longer to live. His, his wife had been going to our church, and her husband, who was in hospice, didn't really have anything, didn't want anything to do with any sort of religion. But she asked our pastor to visit him and pray for him one last time. So Lance and I checked into the front desk, went into the room. We made small talk. I mostly sat there in silence, as you can imagine. He asked how he was feeling. And then eventually, my pastor asked the dying man, how is your soul? And the man replied, it's fine. But you should have seen his eyes. His eyes were not fine. His eyes carried the weight of the world with them. You see, this man had burdens. But for one reason or the other, he thought his burdens were his alone to carry. And those are the eyes that Jesus sees in this passage. I don't know all the burdens that you're carrying this morning. In fact, it overwhelms me to look at your faces and to imagine what could be possibly be going on in this room. The sins, the sufferings, the worries, the disappointments, the frustrations. I don't know them, but Jesus does. Jesus knows that you have burdens that you cannot carry and it is making you weary even in the new year. So the first question this morning from our text is not just what you are carrying, but why are you carrying it? Jesus' invitation is for all, but all those who are weary and burdened. Matthew eleven twenty eight has been such a great comfort for God's people because it tells us the truth. We have burdens that we cannot carry, and our Savior Jesus, he wants to carry them. So if the world promises us burdens, what does Jesus promise us? We've seen the problem. Now let's look at to the promise. The promise that Jesus offers to us in this passage. You see it there in verse 28. Jesus says, I will give you rest. He then goes on to expand on it in verse 29. When he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. The world gives us burdens. Jesus promises to give us rest. What exactly does he mean by this? It's important to note that Jesus does say rest for your soul. That is a very different rest than the world's version of rest. The world's version of rest is is relentless right now, especially in the new year, every new year, offering us so many things to give us. A better night's sleep, a more relaxed mind, a vacation away. Even my beloved Beaumont YMCA sent me an email the other day saying it's time for you to recharge and rest, probably because I haven't been there in a couple months. And of course, all these can provide real benefits. 
I'm not saying that they don't. But have you noticed that even the best, longest vacations never take away the burdens? They might ease the burdens. They might help you distract you away from the burdens or make you forget the burdens for a time. But the rest of the world can never take away the burdens. Which is why we often come back from vacation feeling like we need a vacation from that vacation. Don't make the mistake of putting 21st century ears on this text. When Jesus says he will give rest, he is not talking about relaxing, resetting, or recharging. This is why in verse 29, he does not tell us to throw off all yokes, but take on a a better yoke, a different yoke, his yoke. The word Jesus uses here for rest could easily be translated as relief, revive, or even better yet, restoration. It is not just a rest from your labor that Jesus is after, but a strength for life. That is what he's talking about. And we get a picture of exactly what he means in the very next chapter of Matthew. If you go to Matthew 12, it is no coincidence that Matthew uses this next chapter right after this for Jesus' teaching on the Sabbath, the day of rest. Matthew goes straight to teaching on the Sabbath to teach us what Jesus means. And in one of those stories in Matthew 12, you will find a man with a severely withered hand. His hand had atrophied, literally lifeless, perhaps paralyzed because of disease. And Jesus tells him in Matthew 12 to stretch out your hand, and when he does, that hand was restored, healthy, like the other. This is a picture of the rest that Jesus is willing to give us He not only takes the problem away from the hand, but he restores the hand to perfect health, just like the other. So when Jesus promises he will give you rest this morning, that's the picture you should have in mind. Restoration. Not only taking our burdens, but giving health to our souls. This is a hard concept to grasp. How God's power is actually made perfect in our weakness. But I tell you, the ones that understand this idea the most, God's strength in our weakness, is not me. It's the older saints. They could tell this a lot better than me. It's the people that have walked with Jesus for a long time, especially in times of trial and suffering. I'll give you one example. Many of you might know the story of the Christian author, Johnny Erickson Tata. If you don't know her story, it begins in tragedy, actually. On June 30th, 1967, Miss Tata went swimming with her friends at a beach off of Chesapeake Bay. And without checking the depth of the water, she dove in and she did not come back up. Her friends dove in, got her, rushed her to a nearby hospital where she received this life-changing diagnosis. She was paralyzed from the shoulders down at the age of 18. Her story is amazing if you want to look it up. She has written countless books about how God has strengthened her faith through so many burdens in life. But in one of her latest books, she writes about finally being with Jesus in heaven. And here's what she says. When I get to heaven, I hope I can bring this wheelchair with me. I know that's not theologically correct, but I hope to bring it and put it in a little corner of heaven. And then in my new, perfect, glorified body, standing on grateful, glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior, holding his nail-pierced hands, and I'll say, thank you, Jesus. 
And he'll know exactly what I mean because he knows me. He'll recognize me from the fellowship we've shared in his sufferings. And I will say, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble. We would have trouble because that thing was a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. And she says at the end, jokingly, you can now please send that wheelchair to hell if you want. The weaker I was, the harder I leaned, the harder I leaned, the stronger I discovered you to be. Or if I could put it in the language of our passage, the more burdens I had, the more I came to you, the more I came to you, the more rest I discovered you to be. When Jesus says, I will give you rest, that's what he's talking about. Listen, I love relaxation more than anybody. I love weekends. I love vacations. I'm even one of those people that loves New Year's resolutions. But there are some things that resolutions and the rest of this world can never do for you. They cannot forgive a sin-sick soul. They cannot bring peace to your guilty conscience. They can't undo some things that you have done. They can't bring back some things that you have lost. They can't heal the aches of this world. They just can't. They can't give rest to your soul. But Jesus can. He came to give rest to the weary, and now there's nothing left between you and him but to come. Which leads me to my last point. How do we get this rest that we so desperately need? Jesus gives us rest by giving us himself. We've seen the problem. We've seen the promise. Now let's finish by looking at the person that Jesus is for us. Look at verse 28. The very first words of Jesus' invitation are come to me. And then he bookends them by saying, I will give you. The weight of the entire text is on that I. In the Greek, it's actually emphatic, literally meaning, literally reading, I, I myself will give you rest. He is emphasizing it. He's doubling it. And that's because the emphasis of this passage is not on rest, but rest found in Jesus. And that's very important. Are you starting to understand Jesus' invitation this morning? The reason he can take our burdens, the reason he can take our rest, the reason he can give us rest is because he gives us his very self. That is the key to the passage. And this is what we really can't afford to miss this morning. I thought about a lot of ways to apply this sermon. And honestly, what troubled me the most this week is there are so many times in the Bible that the same promise is given and it seems to be always rejected. I'll give you a couple. In Jeremiah 6, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Isaiah 30 is similar, the assurance of pardon. For thus to the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and trust shall be your strength. In the next line, but you are unwilling. The prophets are telling God's people to come to God, to rest in Him, and they refuse. They are unwilling. They will not walk in it. 
and you get to the Gospels and you see Jesus love people and serve people and you see more of the same, people are infuriated by Jesus, including the chapter leading up to this. And that is because instead of teaching the lesson like other teachers, Jesus said, I am the lesson. Instead of saying, here's how you get rest, Jesus said, I am the rest. Jesus says, come to me. And that's the application of this text. Come to Jesus. So why didn't they come? Why do you and I refuse to come sometimes? The text gives us several good reasons to come to him, and they could be a whole sermon in themselves. If I ever get another chance to preach, I might do that. Verse 27 says he has, he, Jesus alone has all authority. He has all authority. It's been given to him by the Father. So he's able to do everything he says he can do. That's a good reason. It also says that he alone can reveal the Father. Him and the Father had the Father-Son relationship, and he shares that with us to make us sons and daughters. That's a good reason. All these are good reasons to come to Jesus. But the one that I wanted to give you this morning the one that I haven't been able to stop thinking about, and I hope that you're not able to stop thinking about, is come to Jesus because of his heart. Thomas Goodwin explains what I mean when I say come to Jesus because of his heart. He says this, that which keeps people off is that they know not Christ's heart. That's what keeps people away from Jesus. The truth is he is more glad of us than we can ever be of him. He that came down from heaven to die for you will meet you more than halfway, as the prodigal's father is said to do. Oh, therefore, come to him. And he ends it like this. If you knew his heart, you would. If you knew Jesus' heart, you would come. And Jesus tells us his heart in verse 29. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Why? Why should we take his yoke? For I am gentle and lowly in heart. It is easy for us to think that Jesus in all his glory, in all his power, in all his holiness, that he is not accessible to us. Yes, he offers us forgiveness of sin, but closeness to Jesus, that seems too much for us to bear. And Matthew 11 again comes to tell us the truth. He wants us to come to him. His heart is gentle and lowly for us. And the rest of Matthew's gospel will go to great lengths to show us how much. In Matthew 11, he says his heart is gentle and lowly, but we get the full extent of what he means later on, actually, in Matthew 26. That is the night before his death. That is the night where Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane. And our great Savior, who is promising us rest, is found restless in that garden. Now, let me be clear here. Jesus is without sin. That is our hope. But no one can deny that here in the garden before his crucifixion, Jesus is in turmoil to the point that the gospel writers describe Jesus as troubled, greatly distressed, and in agony. And we read these very words of Jesus himself. He says, my soul is sorrowful even to death. This is Jesus. This is the man who has faced storms and diseases and his friend's death, and even Satan himself. And he has not flinched. So what is going on here? Jesus tells us what's going on when he pleads with the Father, let this cup pass from me. His heart is burdened with what should burden our hearts this morning. 
This cup in the Old Testament symbolized the wrath of God that was being stored up for all the sins of his people. So the Father sends Jesus in his love for us. Jesus goes in his love for us to that great eternal burden to bear the wrath of God for sinners. And on that cross, Jesus found death for his soul. So this morning you could come to him and find rest for yours. That is his heart, gentle and lowly for weary sinners like you and me. The great Christmas hymn that we've been singing, O Holy Night, might say it best. The weary world rejoices. Why can the weary world now rejoice? Because Christ has come. And because Christ has come, we can now come to him freely. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, for I myself will give you rest. Let's pray. Father, help our hearts to see your heart. We are so inclined to see you in the ways of the world. We are uncomfortable with your grace, with your invitation. We are overwhelmed with our burdens that you might want to give us rest. Help us to to heed your invitation to respond to you and to come. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.